because we're talking about the vastness of space. So I put on a hoodie to be weather appropriate. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I, got, I had today off from the firm, so I had my Scotty drinking shirt. Ah. <laughs> Let's do this thing. Incoming transmission. The Klingon word of the day is WAM. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. So, this is a huge victory for the good guys. Scotty, beam me up. Resistance is futile. They're long and prosperous. You boldly go where no man has gone before. And welcome to the Computer Resume Podcast, the show covering the entire Star Trek franchise in chronological order for fans new and old. I'm your host, writer-comedian Mr. Todd A. Davis. He likes his comedy like he likes his music, like he likes his coffee, black and in your face. It's Mr. <laughs> Adam Schulte! Yay! Hey. <laughs> How you doing, man? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. I, uh, uh, I'm excited to be on this uh, to talk about a thing that i'm i'm a show specifically in star trek that i'm not the most familiar with but i am a huge fan of the back that's what we call uh, uh, uh scott bacula a uh, super fans nice. just like is the state he's the back and <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> uh, he definitely carries the show on his back oh, oh nicely <laughs> done sir nicely done he is obviously the name that kind of drives this series forward and we've already seen through a few episodes a lot of the supporting cast and even some of the writers and directors have been involved with of course quantum leap no sense burying the lead like he became a household name with quantum leap and then cemented it in the star trek universe and whether or not it was good or bad is up for debate uh, you're a stand-up comedian and uh you've been doing it for much longer than i have uh tell everybody how we met we met at uh I think it was my third or fourth year in uh, to doing stand-up. I'm almost at a decade, guys. Totally going to get that Netflix special. It's right around the corner, sir. <laughs> I remember you came to Coffee Underground was your first one. We were outside. And I just remember talking to you saying that I liked your set because you had some uh, stuff I hadn't heard. There was an energy to you, bro. And like, you know, <laughs> I think what we initially were talking about, I think you were talking about comic books after your set. And I think we, we started mixing the two and we just started talking. And that's how uh, I'm pretty sure it's how we met. So I'm going to say like, what, five years ago? I think I just cracked the four year mark. Okay. So yeah, it's timelines about there. So I had done stand up once, maybe twice before, but not with any like real drive to it. And then that first time back at Coffee Underground, I had been working uh, six or seven days a week for like five weeks straight. I was so tired. I was yes. really, really, really tired. And I, it was all I could do to hang on to the microphone, basically keep my eyes shut and just recite the material. <laughs> I was so tired. <laughs> but the fact oh. that you saw something in that <laughs> just warms my heart. <laughs> well, I'm pretty detail oriented on some things, some things I'm not because I, other than just like performing, I end up doing a lot of booking and producing and on the 
talent search side of things, I like to find things that people aren't hearing and things that I think would be interesting and funny for other people to hear. That's a bigger part of my stuff now in comedy versus just regular standup. I have to run rooms. I have to book shows. I have to find people for those shows. I have to pay attention, which I got to pay attention to detail. It's a great unpaid internship. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's actually a really good way to put it because a lot of folks I feel like that jump into stand up with the idea of I'm just going to go up there and be myself and then <laughs> and then I'll get that Netflix special and stuff. There's so much more to it than that. <laughs> yeah. It's tip um, of the iceberg, man. <laughs> how much of your mental health are you willing to sacrifice to make three people in a bar that don't want to be there laugh? How far down the rabbit hole of self-deprecation and uh, not caring about the next day are you willing to go for that killer bit about something that no one wants to hear about? Oh, yeah. I've referred to it a few times here on the show. Uh, my Avery Brooks impression, my Star Trek Deep Space Nine bit that has never worked, <laughs> ever. <laughs> but then I always have to end it with like, look, sometimes the jokes aren't for you. We're narcissistic and selfish in this creative outlet. <laughs> and it's this that encourages it too it encourages it we're just kissing cousins and narcissism right now while doing <laughs> yeah, that's very true before you got into comedy and i mean even currently you were involved uh with a lot of music because i don't know that i've heard the entire story about how you got into music and then how you transitioned from music to comedy well picture this 13 year old boy with no facial hair living in middle of nowhere, North Carolina, trying to find some sort of outlet for his teen angst. Comic books only took it so far. Mortal Kombat was the furthest we had for violence at the time. And <laughs> I started developing this weird interest in buying CDs that bands would be thanking in the liner notes. And I ended up discovering punk rock and metal and hardcore that way. And so from age 13, 14, I just kind of threw myself at it. And somehow I haven't died. And uh, I, I've, ha I've had a record label that was put out three good releases. I didn't make any money, but I broke even. My distro is what's really kept me afloat. I've been in bands, uh, nothing of note. And I think only a few things recorded. And looking back, they were so good, bro. But now it's like, oh, you see, you were mad about something that now you would not even care about. <laughs> and uh, I've just stayed involved in punk and hardcore for a long time and the transition from being in a band jumping around and screaming and stuff versus getting on stage and jumping around and screaming and stuff is that now there's just me. Like I have to be the one to do it. I can't be like, Oh, string broke. Drummer got mad and punched the drums. So now we don't have a set of working drums. It's uh, you gotta be up there and do it yourself. And I've just kind of taken that uh, mentality of, well, it's on you now. Everything is DIY, no matter what you want to do. Everything that I learned uh, as far as like an ethos goes, certain ideologies, I've just kept all the good parts from growing up in hardcore and really just applied it to stand up. And uh, some people don't like all of the things that I brought with me, but I think it makes for a more uh, honest approach to trying to do something in the arts and being creative. I think it's far more telling if you actually care and it's something that like has changed your life, then you need to, if you want other people to know about it, then you got to commit to it the way that you've been told to commit to it. There's a, probably some brain damage and throughout my years that have made my brain not work like a regular adult brain, but <laughs> said every comedian ever. <laughs> yeah. 
unlike other comedians, I was taking spin kicks to the head uh, in, in the pit, whereas they were just drinking in the dark alone. Uh, so and falling a lot. Yeah, I just took a lot of the, the, the stuff that I learned doing hardcore and just applied it to comedy. And somehow I'm still attracted to both. There seems to be a direct correlation between comedy and music. Every time I've talked to a musician, first of all, it's always with great admiration, especially like a singer songwriter. Anytime I mention that I do stand up comedy, it's let me pick your brain, especially about the writing process, which I'm curious as to their writing process too. So I wonder if you have any thoughts or theories as to why those two are so connected seemingly. And then we'll get to some Star Trek, I promise. <laughs> this is a good question. Um, I always heard growing up from other musicians, I mean, I could never be a comic. That seems too hard. And comics say, like, man, I could never be a musician, but I've always, they've all, one's always wanted to be the other. And I think the respect of one is telling the creative side of the brain what to do to manifest something artistically, that being more on the music side. The other side of the brain is telling you to say something concrete and uh, hopefully honest. And that's the comedic side. Both are a different form of uh, express. I sound real pretentious right now. I apologize. Both are a different form of expression. You can make a guitar sound that can make someone cry. But you can also write a joke that someone laughs so hard that they cry. There's almost like a two sides of the same coin, but the outcome is just very different. It's a different set of uh, emotions. Plus, I mean, comics are poor. Musicians are poor. So again, they're <laughs> holding uh, cousins in the same respect of where they are in the arts unless they've made it. Yeah. All of us are at the kitchen door of the club going, is there, is there any, yeah, I guess I didn't have any burgers left over or anything? <laughs> May I have a crumb of something? <laughs> uh, yeah, because I remember uh, once I spoke with a singer-songwriter, David Wilcox, after he had played a set at the Peace Center. And he had this song involving his father. And it was really great, very moving song. And I spoke with him about it. I was like, hey, that, I mean, that one particular song just really moved me. I you know, really enjoyed it. I actually put my father in a lot of my material as well. He goes, oh, really, what do you do? And I said, I'm a stand-up comedian. And he grabbed two chairs and pulled them aside from everybody else. He said, sit down, let's talk. We ended up talking for about an hour and getting into his process of writing that particular song was he would get to a certain point and it would always get a laugh. And he's like, that's not what I'm going for. So he would have to take it back to formula, rework it so that it stayed in the same tone. I was like, you're doing what I do in reverse. We take the not funny things and craft them to get a laugh. <laughs> so yeah. we had a nice little connection there. So let me ask you in terms of Star Trek, we're, we're not too uh, different in age. You're a few years older than me, but not much. I imagine yeah. you're next generation kid. Uh, next gen uh, deep space nine as well. I got to see yeah. that. And of course, like the classic original and the, the cartoon. So everything after deep space nine, I'm kind of like, is it a movie? <laughs> I don't want to sink my time into this universe. There's a lot. It's very deep. As I came to quick realization in planning this podcast, it's like, I'm going to be doing this for at least 15 years. <laughs> yeah. There's more. You got lower deck. Don't forget about lower deck. Oh, yeah. Oh, trust oh, me. Lower. It's all on the schedule, man. I've got everything down. I've got fan films that we're going to cover. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. I dove real deep. <laughs> With that being said, and your uh, affinity for Star Trek uh, setting the stage, 
Let's get into this week's recap. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. 22 years ago, this ship's crew died in space. You're not afraid it's really haunted, are you? If we feel the spirits don't want us there, we'll leave. Now. There's someone here. They're back. Alive. You were looking where you shouldn't have. An all-new Enterprise. Archer, Paul, and Tripp are having dinner with Damar, the host of Galaxy's Funniest Holographic Projections. He tells them he found most of his items on a nearby planet, inside a haunted ship. Archer starts salivating. <laughs> Once on board, Paul hears a noise. With those ears, I'm surprised she doesn't pick up HBO. Archer and Travis find a computer terminal and decide to take it back to Enterprise. In engineering, Tripp and T'Pol discover a section of the ship protected by a dampening field, where they find the ship's crew. <laughs> Two of the crew, Ezral and Captain Kulan, tell the away team the ship was attacked by raiders three years ago. Archer offers assistance, which Ezral accepts. <laughs> but all is not as it seems. Reed's analysis of the ship reveals impact damage, but no weapon signatures. Oxidation of the ship reveals it crashed nearly 22 years ago. Travis states that the aeroponics bay isn't big enough to feed all of the crew. <laughs> On the vessel, T'Pol and Tripp are suddenly taken hostage, again, while Archer and Reed are ordered to leave. Enterprise then plans a rescue mission. <laughs> During the raid, the ship's crew come out of the walls. Liana, Ezreal's daughter, removes some data cards from the computer and the crew disappear. Uh? Ezreal explains that he was the chief engineer on the ship and that he recreated the crew as holograms when, due to his own negligence, half the crew died in an ion storm. <laughs> he later recreated his dead wife and the crew to provide a home environment for his young daughter. Yes, might have gotten away with it too. It wasn't for these blasted kids and their dogs. Accepting reality, he finally requests the repair components required to make his ship spaceworthy. So you uh, mentioned that you're a big fan of Deep Space Nine. Uh, was it interesting to see uh, Rene Auberjuan? It was nice to see him not the pure scientific straight man. It was nice to see him as the broken down man. That beard wasn't fooling anybody. We knew who it was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It was cool seeing him play a different set of emotions, especially you're used to seeing these. some of these characters play the same character over and over and over, even in like crossover or like an old version or like a young version, say one of the movies that they've always been consistent. And to see that same actor go from Odo to a, a broken man trying to keep it together, I thought that was a very nice way to bring him back into the fold, even if it was just for the one episode. Yeah, I think of actors like, uh, just off the top of my head, Katie Sackoff, who ever since Battlestar Galactica has played just different versions of Starbuck. <laughs> it's easy to get typecast, especially with something like Star Trek, where the stage is bigger than the personalities on it. There's so much legacy going on there that once you're in it, once you're involved, it's hard for people to see past that. Yeah, I mean, it's also space. It's, you know, the final frontier and very vast and stuff, so. Of course. Um, you're a big video gamer. You you game more than I do, for sure. Have you had much experience with VR? I tried the, uh, uh, what was it, the Nintendo thing, uh, Virtual Boy. Virtual and, Boy! Oh, man! Yeah, and I got a real bad headache. <laughs> I've tried 
VR headsets for games with friends that were like, yeah, I got an extra $1,500 to throw down on this piece of plastic. Cool. And same thing. I either got a headache or got nauseous. So VR and I, we're not besties. <laughs> I think it was back when the 3D TVs came out and, you know, those oh. started ramping oh. up. Yeah, dude, I tried one of those things. I, I immediately had to take Excedrin. My brain does not like that, dude. You don't need this. I'm never one to jump on the bandwagon with a brand new technology. I'm the guy that waits a few generations to all the bugs are worked out and the price drops a little bit, then I'll go get it. And I've always said like, look, if you can convince me that Luke Skywalker is standing in my living room, I'm in. Until then, <laughs> I'm happy with 2D as it is. <laughs> Speaking of technology, TV now, in general, looks so realistic, it's fake. Like, I call it Canadian vision. You know it was shot on extremely nice cameras, and, uh, you know, it was shot with, like, the absolute best potential lighting, all the subtle ways you can engineer it, and it's like, this is so real, it looks fake. Something I really liked about this episode, and I watched a few others afterwards, I got the numbers and the things mixed up originally, so I watched them, and I was like, wow, all of these surroundings look like they were shot back around the first Star Trek, at least for, for Enterprise. I mean, a lot of the technology still look, it looked like they just like, took it from one set to another and maybe put some spray paint on it. So I don't know if that was an homage or just the how it was shot, but it, it looked very, very similar to me that way. Yeah, I think trying to create the beginning of this epic franchise, I'm sure there's kind of a, what do we do that fans recognize? And I think there's some elements of the ship for sure. You know, some of the aesthetic. Um, and then you've got a couple of very little in terms of the uniforms. But I think the thing that they nail, one, the diversity of the crew. I think you've got a nice mix of different folks on the ship, despite most people's thoughts and feelings about uh, Charles Tucker Third trip. <laughs> And his accent. I think you had some thoughts that you expressed yeah. to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, he sounds like he's trying to have a fake Texas accent, but try to be cool like Christian Slater in the late 80s, early 90s. And he has that look on his face, too. He, it's, it's so punchable. And it's just so frustrating to hear him talk. Like I just get physically mad at him. I don't know why. It bothered me so much. It, it, uh, like, I, uh, like, I want to drive to his house, just hit him and be like, pick a lane and stay with it. We all can't be Matthew McConaughey now, can we? You're a half talent, but run with that half that's good. I couldn't remember if it was Texas or somewhere on the East Coast, one of the Virginias, or maybe Florida. I, I it's it's a real it's a real it, nondescript Southern accent. <laughs> well, there's an episode. It was either the same one or it was the one after it where he and uh, the back sit down and watch a water polo game, the most interesting game, the the sport of kings to them <laughs> he keeps talking about how how texas he keeps on referencing texas so but when i first heard i was like that's like every fake texas accent i've heard on a british tv show this is not good no uh, yeah you're right it's a little tough to swallow that it's uh <laughs> and then i don't know we, i've talked with folks who buy the southern charm thing but mm. you know opposites tracked of course but mm. interactions with to paul are almost rapey pain yeah <laughs> opposites attract boy these things are going to collide really hard because whoo she's way out away from him in terms of relatability and you can tell some people are just meant to be together mm. i don't know that anybody sees this coming 
but he gives off the kind of uncomfortable energy around women as like the guy that graduated high school has been away for two years and comes back to like the junior prom party to, to scam on girls. Like that's <laughs> like the real creepy, like, Oh, I have an expensive leather jacket kind of vibe. Like there's just nothing about him that seems, uh, he just seems slimy. <laughs> Here's the, the way he and uh, the back interact. It's always like, are you guys going to kiss or what? There's a lot, <laughs> there's a lot of that going on the whole time. There's a lot of like Spock and Kirk. You can go, they're clearly best friends and care for each other. These guys, you know, maybe they got drunk at one of the, uh, you know, one of the holidays that I can't pronounce from, from Klingon. And they had a couple too many blue green drinks. And then, uh, you know, they checked to see what things were like because they're out in space because it's 2142. So, you know, try new things. Yeah. <laughs> impressive. They're, they're probing stuff. Yeah, there's definitely, uh, uh, there definitely seems to be some, uh, uh, some serious innuendo and tension between those two. And they just get a holodeck, you guys. Just do what you got to do. Get it out of your system. <laughs> well, yeah, that seems to be the reoccurring theme. The lack of a holodeck might solve some of their problems. How does your limited experience with Enterprise, how does it stack up to your knowledge and experience of Trek so far, being a next-gen kid? I think that seeing so many things, if you pick up even, even in regular Star Trek, uh, and next generation and deep space you see how relationships have changed between uh, all the everyone in the galaxy how uh, how they all view each other because it's in the beginning stages of starfleet and everything like that you'll see some some alliances you wouldn't see now in like the current uh, zeitgeist and the complete inverse and you can see like where things might have actually started where like the the first offense at a ambassador meeting of people might be like oh they're big mad at me now because i ate with my mouth and in public and then uh uh, that's the thing that sets it off so when picard's dealing with those folks uh, all of a sudden says oh that's how it started cool so it's nice seeing a little homages to things nice and uh because almost everyone i've had on the show has weighed in on it uh and you being a music guy what are your thoughts on the opening theme uh i think it's in line with 9-11 as being the one of the worst things that happened that month (laughs) oh well i mean that's that seems to be on par with what everybody thinks and feels (laughs) some people may not like that answer but uh nothing will take me out of the mood of watching sci-fi than a bad rod any rod stewart song uh if it's in the next guardians of the galaxy movie i'm getting up and walking out that's how much I don't want to hear Rod Stewart in my sci-fi. Singer about Maggie May and uh, your great hair, whatever it is. Uh, but leave sci-fi away to the people that, that don't want to be around any of that, please. None of us have feathered hair. Leave us out of it. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. But, well, Rod Stewart, he is, to me, potentially part lizard. So maybe he knows <laughs> about the future in Star Trek that we don't know. Maybe he's from another planet. That's a distinct possibility. <laughs> His skin is the softest leather I've ever seen. I'm very, I'm very surprised he's made it this long. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Let's get into some of the stats here. Um, weighing in on the with the story is Berman and Braga again. Of course, the last thing they did was the last episode we talked about. Uh, season one, episode 19, Acquisition. And then they were also helped on this one with Stephen Beck, who we saw turn in some script on season one, episode 11, Cold Front. And Beck also did the teleplay for this. This episode was directed by Jim Charleston. His career is kind of interesting. He did a bunch of grunt work, 
leading up to him getting some second unit directing and first AD gigs with 68 episodes of Hill Street Blues. And then he was the first. Yeah. And then he was the first AD for 35 episodes of Northern Exposure starting in 91 before directing six episodes of Northern Exposure from 93 to 94. Once uh, Jim Charleston got in the director's chair, he actually cranked out quite a few things. Four episodes of Earth 2, two episodes of Millennium, two episodes of Lois and Clark, four episodes of X-Files, and 26 episodes of Nash Bridges from 1998 to 2001. Did you ever ever watch Nash Bridges? Yeah, with uh, Tommy Tommy Chong. Oh, yeah. Marin, Cheech Marin. No, I think Tommy Chong was on a couple episodes of Nesper, but yeah, uh, Cheech Marin was on it. And seeing Don Johnson still trying to be Don Johnson from the 80s was kind of, but that he he and I always laughed at that because he still tried to be that smooth guy. And it's, you're gray, calm down. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, that run on Nash Bridges led up to this episode of Enterprise, which is his first and only entry in the franchise after which he started to descend the ladder, even working in the transportation department in 2009 and 2013 on a few smaller films. So I'm confused by the career trajectory. You usually try to go in one direction. So I'm wondering what happened, you know, post 2005 to 2010, somewhere around in there, it started to work back down that ladder. It's really confusing. Rod Stewart. Rod Stewart. (laughs) (laughs) else and he's like no i'm gonna make it my personal vendetta against this man (laughs) rod stewart didn't like the cut of his jib (laughs) and uh we've got some guest stars here of course i alluded to uh mr tom bergeron as damar the alien trader i was like this guy has a really distinct look but i couldn't place my finger on it and then when i looked it up i was like holy crap that's tom bergeron (laughs) we gonna get our bergeron and then we also have annie Wershing as liana uh worked pretty consistently uh since the early 2000s a lot of tv stuff uh she's got this episode of enterprise is actually her very first credit on imdb she played renee walker in season seven and eight of 24 she was lily salvatore in the vampire diaries and emma whitmore in the show timeless did you ever see timeless i want to say that was a nbc show i got nothing on that one yeah Uh, 24 thing i actually recognize her from because i watched i used to watch 24 when it was out so uh i, I remember watching the episode like, she's on 24 isn't she and i just went to imdb like oh yeah the, the, she was on 24 so that like that's the only thing that i recognized her from yeah i tried to get into 24 i think 24 is it's definitely a water cooler show it does not work well binging all these things are happening happening in this 24 hour period and i you're losing me there's no way all of these things are happening in 24 hours. That doesn't happen. I disconnected. And after that first season, I was like, all right, I'm out. Kiefer Sutherland, I love you. I can't do this. <laughs> I'll disconnect for Star Trek, <laughs> but not this espionage bull. Oh, no. Give me the espionage, man. I love it. I love seeing him like super tense all the time and super erratic. I suspect like that's being a manager of a retail, a big box retail store on Black Friday, knowing that you're stuck there. That's how he is on that show. That has to have been an SNL skit that didn't make it from dress to air. (laughs) And then, uh, of course, rounding out some of the guest stars here, we mentioned uh, Renee Auberjouan as Ezreal, a.k.a. Odo from 
Star Trek Deep Space Nine. He had a really interesting career. I'm just going to hit some of the highlights here. He was in King Kong in 1976. He had a very small role in Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country in 1991, a brief scene in Batman Forever in 1995, and then he did 71 episodes of Boston Legal, 135 episodes of Benson, and of course, 173 episodes of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. This is not the last time we will see Mr. Aubergeois, and uh, I want to discuss his career a little bit later in this podcast as we go through the series next week we will be covering enterprise season one episode 21 detained oh yeah. yeah that's I actually episodes that i watched after uh because uh it was numbered as 20 but you said oasis so i watched both of those just in case i needed to be ready and then i watched a few episodes after that so nice uh, nice detained is available on netflix hulu amazon prime and of course paramount plus Quick note here again, folks, if you like what we're doing and you support us and support the people that are involved, check out Drone Node. They actually have a new single called We Already Are Cyberpunk, and it's available on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, and YouTube. Uh, Drone Node, D-R-O-N-E-N-O-D, for that single, We Already Are Cyberpunk. He actually sent me a link to it. It's pretty dope. So check that out. Adam. Tell the good folks a little bit about Stone Grown Comedy. I was booking shows for a while by myself, and my business partner, Heath Stone, was booking a few shows. And then uh, Chaz Scoville also started booking shows. They started Scoville and Stone. And then Chaz moved to the West Coast, and Heath was booking shows. I was booking shows. And we just met and said, you want to book shows together? And almost seven years later, it's amazing that it's seven years at this point. Yeah. We've been booking shows, almost all stand-up comedy shows, I think exclusively stand-up comedy shows in the upstate. And we've been able to do a lot of cool things with charities locally. We're coming up on our fifth or sixth uh, Toys for Tots toy drive. I really love doing that show. We're just a group of comics that really just do DIY shows. And I think every single one of us not only in the comedic voice sense of things, bring something different to the table, everything outside of just our stand-up stuff uh, and, and it's still in our creative outlets is still very different from the other. And I think it's all pretty cool how we all do our own thing outside of just the uh, the group collective when it's time for the, uh, the open mics or the paid shows that Stone Grown puts on. So it's building a very nice portfolio of creative types Where's the best place to find all the stuff happening with Stone Grown? Facebook and just look up Stone Grown Comedy. That's S-T-O-N-E-G-R-O-W-N. And then comedy, C-O-M-E-D-Y. You can just check that out and you can see all the upcoming events. We have stuff uh, coming up. Uh, We have our next show at The Flat on the 26th, which is the last Saturday. And then every Wednesday, we've been running the uh, open mic at Radio Room here in greenville south carolina and follow me on instagram and see uh pictures of records and cats for the most part and that's uh my handle's get sick 828 and i actually post all the shows there and uh, anything i'm doing comedically which is almost 100 percent done with uh with stone grown as well so and just really briefly um tell folks about hugs and hardcore because that's that's a lot of fun <laughs> So what it is, is um, it, do you guys remember when the pandemic first happened? I was watching people 
lot of comics who didn't have stages anymore because things were shut down doing tv watch-alongs like trying to mystery science theater 3000 every single piece of media out there <laughs> it was very dumb then they put a paypal he's like give me money no <laughs> No, why would I give you money to watch you live stream a show that I, or a movie that I don't care about to try to make jokes about? It's, come on, man. You're a creative type. Be creative. Well, I've started podcasts and never did anything with them. And I like the idea of a live show because uh, I'm not a big fan of editing. Not because I don't think editing's bad. I just don't know how to do it. So <laughs> I make sure that when I do something, I have everything ready to go. And I just started doing this web show called uh, hugs and hardcore and it's just me playing records talking about records talking about bands occasional mental health things um i like doing live reactions with people so i'll, I'll ask a normie like when you came over like go pick five records we're gonna listen to them i don't want to hear what you hear about them all the answers have been different for everybody <laughs> i've had band members on talking about stuff like new releases stuff they're working on last night i did the ask a super fan we just, so we did a deep dive on the entire uh, Zayo LP discography. So that was like two hours of us talking about one band and uh, wow, all their current LPs. Not all those, the splits and the seven inches and the EPs, but just those specific releases. So give it, give everybody your social one more time. All right. All right. So uh, uh, for Hugs and Hardcore, it's a Facebook page. It's just called Hugs and Hardcore. It's a private page um, that may be moving sooner or later. For the comedy-related stuff, uh, Stone Grown Comedy on Facebook. Um, we've thought about using Twitter and uh, uh, Instagram, but it's just easier for us to individually post on our Instagrams, and we just use the main Facebook page to get all the info for all the shows coming out. So, you know, Stone Grown Comedy on Facebook. My personal uh, Instagram is GetSick828, where you'll find pictures of records and cats and stuff I'm up to and, like, weird injuries I get and uh, uh, comedy stuff and comic book stuff and then you can always find me passive aggressively using twitter three times a year also at get sick 828 and i am at mr todd a davis on all of the socials from all of us at the computer resume podcast thank you so much for listening and i'll see you in 10 forward to send us your subspace transmissions to computerresumepodcast at gmail.com or at Computer Resume on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The Computer Resume podcast was created and produced by Mr. Todd A. Davis. Our logo was designed by Will Martin and Justin Bishop. The opening theme was produced by Justin Bishop. Our outro music was provided with permission by Drone Node. Additional music was provided by Mr. Todd A. Davis and Gary Horn. And I'm Cat Davis at that.darn.cat with a K on Instagram. The Computer Resume podcast is part of the Slice of Fried Gold Network. Hashtag LLAP. We'll see you next time. Going through a Star Trek. We're doing Star Trek stuff in space. We probably got some phasers and shuttle pods. And we're going to find a brand new race. How's that for a slice of fried gold?